You're listening to Bring Me the Axe. I'm Brian White, one half of this morbid equation, and I'm joined by my co-host and actual brother, Dave White. Dave, how you doing? Hey, yo, Angela. Why are you so <laughs> fucked up? Yeah. Wait, queer? <laughs> so we probably grew up in neighborhood video stores and the steady diet of utter garbage that those shops provided us with continues unabated to this day. There's no one else I enjoy chopping it up with more about trashy movies than Dave. Uh, just before we get into it, a little housekeeping. If you want to keep up with us between episodes, you can also find us pretty much on all the socials by searching Bring Me the Axe Horror Podcast. Uh, we've also got a sweet website now at bringmetheaxe.com. You can listen to all our past shows there and read the transcripts if that's the sort of thing you're into. You can also contact us directly at bringmetheaxepod at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or suggestions. Do let us know if there's a movie that you love and would like to hear us give it the business. Uh, and lastly, if you like what you hear, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And you'll be doing us a favor by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Just want to get that all out of the way right at the top of the show. So, my God, have I been looking forward to this one. Pretty much since since we started this pod, I have been looking forward to doing this one. So let's give you let's give you a little taste of what's to come. Dear Mom and Dad, I've been at a sleepaway camp for almost three weeks. And I'm getting very scared. Welcome to sleepaway camp. Someone is watching you. Hey, Baba Reba! Someone is waiting for you. Someone wants to scare you to death. Sleepaway camp. You won't be coming home. Yeah, sleepaway camp. That's a hell of a trailer. This is so so damn sleazy. It's it really it's it's really something unto itself. Like I don't think that I can't think of another movie that even approaches how fucking crazy this movie is. It's, it's uh, like it's like what if what if Driller Killer was uh, starring children and <laughs> uh, was like weirdly sexy as well. Yeah. Oh my god. Yep. So let's uh, let's 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 run the facts. This this came out in 1983. So some other years, uh, some other movies that were released that year. Uh, this was a big Stephen King year. This was the year that The Dead Zone came out. Christine and Cujo. And we also had Psycho 2 and Video hey, Videodrome. Bad. Have you ever seen Psycho 2? I have seen all of the Psycho films. No shit. Because I've only the I've second seen... one. Second one's pretty good. It's pretty good, right? Third one? Yeah. yeah. Is that the one with Olivia Hussey? Uh, uh, yeah. No. The third one was Jeff Fahey. And maybe it is Olivia Hussey. Yeah. Jeff Fahey and Dennis Franz is in it. Yeah, that might be the uh, one. It's the like one where bag. I think it's the one where he, it's the one where he's calling into the radio show, right? I think that's the fourth one. Oh, oh no, the fourth one is the oh, the, the origin story with Lori Petty and uh, Bud Court. Oh, good God! Yeah, yep. So, cast and crew. So this uh, was directed by a guy named Robert Hiltzik, who, like a lot of the directors that we feature on this pod, uh, did nothing else after this. 
which is not entirely true because he directed a sequel to this movie in 2003, but he also wrote numerous unproduced scripts throughout the 80s, like straight up until like 1989. And it looks like it, uh, after like a, just a long dry period of, of no, none of his movies getting picked up, he just kind of abandoned film and like he either went into law or like... Yeah, he's a lawyer. Okay, yeah. Because he's also... Uh, one of the things I noticed is in the credits of the movie, his name is on an accounting firm that like did the books for this movie. So I was like, it's either law or accounting that he went into. He was, uh, he, he came back once he also, he had no idea that this movie had any audience whatsoever. And it was a surprise to him that, you know, it had gained cult status. And so after that, and that was about the time that the guy from, I think it's called sleepawaycampfilms.com sort of tracked him down and was name like, really grabs you, doesn't it? Yeah. He was like, I guess, he, he, he emailed him. He's like, hey, you know that this movie's like a real hot cult movie item. And he's like, had no idea. And so after that, he put in uh, like that. I think it's called Return to Sleepaway Camp. I'm told it's terrible. It is. It's from 2008. It's fucking garbage. Yeah. So uh, cast. Uh, obviously, the, the lead is Felissa Rose. She plays Angela. And she seems like the sweetest lady in the world. I follow her on Instagram. And she seems also to... about. She's about as Long Island as a person can get. Yeah, yeah. She's she seems... like, she's... It's like her and that, uh, who is the Long Island medium? It's like the, those, two, <laughs> yeah. those two represent Long yeah. Island. Yeah, she seems to be like permanently on vacation with her kids if she's not at, at a con doing signings. She just seems to be living her best life. And ever since Sleepaway Camp emerged as a cult fave, she's been acting in a ton of schlock and seems to be just having a great time. Because after this, she did a couple of TV things and a couple of small roles and then... That was it until like 2008 or something. I mean, where do you go after this movie? This really it's all downhill. This really sets a weird precedent. So we've also got Jonathan Tiersten. He plays uh, Angela's cousin Ricky. He stayed reasonably active since being a child actor. What the fuck, Pastor? You got you got a really angry animal. It sounds like yeah. He just like runs around down here howling, looking for the other cat. So Jonathan, cats. yeah, no, they're the best. So uh, Jonathan, so, okay, starting again. Jonathan Tiersten, who plays Angela's cousin Ricky, uh, stayed reasonably active since being a child actor and uh, after school specials, and a movie from a little ways back called Toilet Zombie Baby Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, lastly, uh, an actor of note is Mike Kellen, who plays the camp owner Mel, uh, and he was a busy. St- actor between stage TV and movies beginning with the fifties. And this was his last movie because he died the same year. And you know what? It's probably for the best. <laughs> this also, is also, uh, this was his swan song. You really, you, you, you shouldn't say it at all. I mean, there's, there's one other person. There is oh. Karen Fields as queen and icon <laughs> Judy. I know. I know. Uh, yeah, so this guy, Mike, Mike Kellen, he was dying of lung cancer during the shooting of this film, and he died several months before the movie came out. Yeah, also, uh, Christopher Collett, he plays Paul. Uh, he went on to do a couple of things in the 80s and like in the, in, in the 90s, and he, now he does a ton of voice acting stuff. He did, a, he did a movie, I think the movie he did after this, no, after he did a movie called Firstborn, and then he did a movie called The Manhattan Project, which is one that I like quite a bit. 
about a kid who like uh, it was like a really smart kid who builds an atomic bomb for like a science project. It's a pretty pretty vaguely remember that. It's 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 not bad. It's not a weird like science kids science shit. It's it's everything that came. It's everybody was trying to make an ET movie where a smart kid runs away from the government. So I mean that's basically just now. Yeah, yeah. America, twenty twenty three. Yep, we're all running from the fucking government. So uh, notes the uh, the website like I said sleepawaycampfilms.com was a major source for any trivia about the movie. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. It's a a pretty exhaustive website. This movie was made on a budget of less than a half a million dollars, and it turned yeah, over it's like three hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah, yeah, I, that's a. I mean, even by the time, that's a very small boy. Does amount. it show? Yeah, I I would say given the size of the camp, like this looks like an active camp. Like they had to pay those kids. So, you know, like they really got a lot of bang for their buck. Like, I mean, they well, have... I think they had to play this. They had to pay the SAG kids, probably not the other kids, uh, like scale or something like that. But yeah, I mean, but it turned over eleven million in the initial theatrical run. It's probably in the hundreds of millions now. I mean, it's just it's a, it's such an item. Uh, there are four sequels in a twisted chronology. It gets way more complicated than any of these movies need to be. The next two were shot back to back. Pick. Uh, and they pick up at camp with adult Angela played by Pamela Springsteen, which is Bruce's sister. And I've, I've never seen any of the sequels. I hear the second one is good. Second one is pretty good. Third one. Eh, I've yeah. never seen the fourth. So yeah, the fourth one. Well, it depends on what you mean by the fourth one, because the fourth one went into production and it stalled when the studio went bankrupt. So they only had shot about a half an hour of footage and it just sat in a vault forever. And then in 2003, after Hiltzik found out about like this, he directed a fifth sequel that I just talked about. And then after that, so his version, I think Return to Sleepaway Camp is part, is officially part four. And then somebody just cut up all of the previous movies and like used it as like memories and dream sequences to kind of fill out the actual part four to like oh, the old silent night deadly night two treatment yeah yeah so it's it's like 30 minutes of film plus all this archival footage so it's barely a movie uh then uh that came out in 2013 i think so part four is actually part five part five is actually part four it's it's a whole thing a sixth sequel was written but never shot and there were plans to reboot the whole thing, like, again, back in 2013, about the time when, like, reboots were kind of all the rage. Thank God it never but happened. The fact is, you just need the one. Just watch the one. This is all you need, man. I mean, if you I, want to watch the second one, okay, fine. Yeah. But you really just need the one. This movie is an embarrassment of riches. Like, it's got yeah. everything. It is confusing, and <laughs> it's very offensive in all the hilarious ways. It's, 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 it really gives pieces a run for its money. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a good segue into just acknowledging that I think this is probably one of the most divisive horror films ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people find it transphobic. They find it homophobic. Personally, I do not find it to be either of those things. And we can get into those scenes when we get there and talk a little bit more about them. Uh, I think it's pure exploitation in, in some kind of unsavory unimpressive ways. Very, but, very unseemly, like for sure. Yeah. But I, I mean, having said all that, I, I think it is anyone who does feel like this movie is offensive or transphobic. It is easy to understand why they would feel that way. I think that's a fair criticism. So, you know, 
none of the jokes or anything we say are meant to sort of undermine the yeah. very serious nature of that. Yeah, it's it's pretty. Otherwise, yeah, yeah, we're gonna spend the whole time just like apologizing. Uh, there is a spinoff short film called Judy, where Karen Fields plays, and it's surprisingly good. <laughs> is it because it's by the guy who runs the 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 the, the sleepaway camp films? Website. Is it really? <laughs> it's on it's on the uh, Scream Factory blu-ray oh no shit so i've got it all i didn't i didn't look that deep into it yeah he uh, that guy is a super fan like he that website that website has remarkably very little about the first movie and a shitload about all the sequels well because no one gave a shit about the first movie like there's very little and i mean i i i am a researcher by trade and i did a very cursory search and there's nothing like it barely got reviewed I, like that's the thing. Like everything that I looked up, it's it's a pretty anemic run on like trivia and notes for it this time, just because like there's not much out there. It's very weird. Like it's a hot cult movie. Like people fucking love this movie, and I'm am I'm among them. But I think it is. It's it's just it is what it is. Like you get what you get. There's not you know this is not there's not a lot of subtext here. <laughs> there's it. This is just a straight. Like this movie barely has a plot. Yeah. It yeah. is just one scene of horrible children after another, <laughs> you know, intercut with kind of like uh, pretty low budget uh, murder set pieces. And then this supposedly very shocking ending. And I will say up front, the ending of this movie, which is what gets most of the press. Yeah. I find that to be one of the least shocking things about this. Movie. I will. T- I'll tell you what. I think that I, I definitely because I remember when I first saw it because I was just a kid. And when the ending popped up, I was like, what the fuck? But now, and with like an adult with like critical thinking skills and like the ability. Yeah, anyone to, who's not 15 years old will not see the ending and be like, oh my God, bro. Yeah. But like, the, but the thing is, is everything else about this movie lives in the shadow of that ending. And so it's like that, that ending is all anybody wants to talk about. Like it's on all the t-shirts. It's that, you know, that face. That and that's she, when that shit starts to get a little weird and transphobic because it's like, okay, what you're mocking now is something that is real. Yeah. You know, we could just, we could breeze by the ending, but it's like once you get like the light switches with the fucking dick that turns on, it's like, all right, it's enough, <laughs> enough. For fuck's sake, yep. grow up, everybody. Yep. So we open on an empty camp. It's just uh, pa- just panning shots of, of Camp Arawak, but it's all like, it looks like it's been through some shit at this point. And we hear like the disembodied voices of of all these children. And it goes, I will say you can't hear like it's all kind of a unintelligible voiceover stuff. Yeah. The only time you can hear anyway hey, speak is when get away from me goes, with that bucket hey, of water. Yeah, get away from me with that pail of water. I'll kill you. <laughs> God damn. Which is just it sets you fucking. up for everything that's gonna come because this the, this camp is like the is like fucking Thunderdome. Yeah. Also, buckle up, y'all. If you thought Madman had me doing some accent work, <laughs> we're getting we're getting deep. You're in. This you're is, in for it. This is the most Long Island movie ever. Yeah, made. I'm gonna do my best here, but yep. I, I make no promises. Yep. Oh my god. So and uh, actually, my my next note actually says this is the most Long Island. Movie <laughs> I've got a note that actually says that. Yep. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah. So the panning shots end on a closed gate with a sheriff's note on it and a and a sign. For Camp Arawak, stating that it's for sale. It's actually a camp called Camp Algonquin, which apparently Kiltzik actually attended this camp when he was a kid. Yeah, he's got so many fond, like, you just see it in his eyes, the fond memories he has when he talks about it. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, you're a grown man. What the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. He, uh, 
I say, sitting in my apartment full of toys. Yeah. He, uh... <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, they, they've since, the, the, this camp no longer exists, so it's not like a place you can go to. You actually can still go there. They did, um, who's that fucking company that does like the, you know, event movie screenings? Cause there was oh. one, I think I sent it to you when I saw it. Oh yeah. You could go I to Camp Arawak and screen the movie, but you had to stay outside. And that's when I was like, nope, I'm out. Yeah. I don't know. I, cause what I, one of the things that I heard when I listened to the commentary track was they were like, yeah, this doesn't exist anymore unless they're mistaken. I, I don't know. I think the camp is gone, but the, you know, it's obviously, Oh, but the, like the, the, the land, land is, is still, still there. there. Okay. So they were yeah, like, that's why you're staying outside. Yeah. It was like 250 bucks. I'm like, look, I am an urbane homosexual. I do not camp. Also, <laughs> I'm not spending $250 to sit outside and watch a movie. No, no. I'd, I'd spend 250 bucks to sleep in Ricky's bed. Yeah. Yeah. So from there we cut to the boat scene. Oh man. And this, this is, I, this, this here's is the one setup. of my favorite things ever. This is the setup for the whole thing. So uh, we we've got we've got Father John and his two small children. They're out on the water at some upstate lake on a small boat. There's a he's got a boy and a girl, and I'll tell you right now, the boy, that right there, his brother is the situation from Jersey Shore. I heard that. That's yeah. crazy. Royalty. <laughs> yeah. So um, at the same time as they're out just having a having a nice day. There's there's two kids in a boat dragging the least interested water skier of all time. Like she Oh my god. Does she not know that she can just let go of the handle? She the look the the look of terror on her face. I want a fucking audio commentary with just her. <laughs> because I want to do like do you remember that movie, the documentary where they go like shot by shot in the shower scene for Psycho? Yeah. And the movie is like an hour and a half long. I want that, but for this scene. <laughs> It's because it's, I love this girl. She is shrieking in terror as she is being pulled on this fucking water. Yeah, stand. this is before the, there's calamity. Like she's just like, could the the girl in the boat not have gone water skiing? Like, what is the problem here? She is the most unhappy person I've ever seen. <laughs> and it gets worse. It only gets worse. So the kids sneak up on dad, who's distracted by his boyfriend on the shore. Uh, and they push him into the water, which capsizes the boat. They're all splashing and da- around. Dad is about as 1983 gay as you get. Like, I'm talking. <laughs> these are booty shorts. He's that, got the chest hair yep. to the gods. Like, it is. This is a lot. Yeah, he's a, he's a fit dude. Little little fur. Yep. Yeah, he's. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, the the girl is like, hey, let me drive the boat. And the boy's like, no. And so, she hassles him until he, he relents. And she gets in. She starts driving. And the girl, the girl behind them is like screaming and shrieking. And she's trying to tell them that they're heading towards a boat. They're the people in the water. Now, I have to say, it is not as though this girl has never driven a boat before. It's as though she has never even heard of a steering wheel. <laughs> yeah. Like she does not even understand that it goes in other directions. Yeah, because the guy, turn the, it. the boy is like, hey, turn the wheel. <laughs> and that's when that's when he like goes to grab it and accidentally like puts the boat like full throttle. All you got to do is just like, this is a boat. It turns very easily. All you got to do is just turn it a little bit and you're in the clear. And she is, she is just fucking gunning for it. Yeah. Also, it would be helpful if they were looking forward because they're not, they're like looking back at the girl skiing. Uh, And and the girl's like, and the girl skiing is like, there's people in the water. And then they look forward at the, just too late. And they plow through the boat. Uh, And then in that moment, you get the, they hit it. And they cut to the beach and the guy goes, John. Yeah. And then they cut back 
And there's calamity in the water. Yeah, yeah. So his uh, uh, John's and then body and like sh- drifts by, uh, like just about, like just slightly submerged, and then like a bloody life jacket like emerges. But we and we then do the realize- girl on the water ski screams, "Oh my god! Somebody help the people!" Yeah. And I will tell you right now, somebody help the people is a line that gets quoted in my house a lot. <laughs> Apropos of fucking nothing. Yeah. So, and she, she, we, st- we stay on her in the water as she is just like agonizing. Like yeah, everybody oh is, everyone is just fucking slack jawed as the bodies float by. It's like, they're all just staring. That girl is freaking the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. She is. I, I cannot imagine a better opening to any movie, except for maybe Maximum Overdrive. But, but this Bridge. really, yeah. this really just just grabs you and want me. You want to be there, right? And it's it's tight. It's that's the thing about this movie is it's actually pretty snappy. It's paced very well. Like this guy was not like he definitely was was in the right business, like making movies, because like this is a very tight scene that just sort of sets everything up. Because now we cut to probably my favorite character introduction ever. We cut to eight years later in what I can only assume is a home on Long Island. And enter Aunt Martha. Wow. One of the weirdest characters I've ever seen. She's an enigma. She gets five minutes of screen time. We get her right up front and then we get her right at the back. And... And and all I want to do is talk about her. I, we could do an entire podcast just about about her because she is. In I think the wrong movie. The best. The well. So yeah, she's not. I mean, not even in like a different movie. She's in like a different fucking planet. Yeah. The best way that I've heard her described was by Cecil Baldwin, who said she is <laughs> a woman playing a drag queen playing a woman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, is for a long time I. I was actually sort of under the impression that she was a drag queen because she I gives think a off, lot of people are. She gives off like hardcore drag queen energy. And also a lot of it has to do with the way that she's dressed because she because is it's dressed fucking bonkers. Why is she dressed this way? She is dressed like somebody who's been struck by lightning. Like it's it's crazy. She's got like yeah, a, she's she's dressed like uh like a, like an, an American's idea of a Paris travel brochure from the 50s. Like she is a cliche. Big beret on. Yeah. She had this big like red and blue beret on and like this yellow sweater. All it's all and it's all like primary colors, bright primary colors. And she's got these like this like white shirt and white shorts and like white tights. And she comes into the scene on fire. She's got this like sing-song voice. And before anybody else has even entered the frame, she does this thing where she'll be like. Children, it's time to catch the bus. We don't want to miss the bus. And then she sort of like turns to the camera and like touches her her chin thoughtfully. And she's like, well, we wouldn't want that now, would we? And she does that like seven times in yeah, just it's like this she, scene. The only direction she got was, you know, be like a woman, but bigger. <laughs> yeah. It's like the uncanny valley of women. And it's what's really, really weird about this is because she's like, at, on a scale of one to 10, she's operating at like 15. And by the looks of everything around her, she's like a a, a, high, a regular, like high functioning adult, judging by like this nice home that's well kept and a son who is reasonably well adjusted and this custodian. I, well, we're going to get, oh, Ricky is the shit. So here, 
the backstory on her is is she's sort of like an amateur-ish actor. And it sounds like she wasn't really getting a lot of direction. Honestly, it sounds like he barely directed any of these actors, but he wasn't really getting a lot of direction. So she was she was like, look, these lines are really weird. I don't know how to deliver these. I think you need to get somebody else to do this. And he was like, absolutely not. There's no fucking time. You're doing these lines right now. Do them now. And she was like, OK, fine. I'm just going to read them like I I think I'm supposed to, I guess. And it just comes off like a fucking RuPaul's Drag Race skit with this like weird woman being weird. She is like a mental patient. Like it is cra- it's very hard to 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 lev- like just basically to put her in this this same scenario cuz she also says like she's a doctor. And I'm like I have a very hard time believing that. Like I I believe that she is a the, a patient of a doctor. Like I would not trust her as a doctor. I no, if I if I went to a doctor's office and she came in and she's like, "Hi, I'm the doctor." I'd be like, "I I have made like a I need mistake. to see some identification, ma'am." <laughs> ma'am question mark. Yep. Yeah. She's basically she is the way that I I kind of describe her. She's like a mink stole character. Yes, uh, she reads very much like a I was thinking of like uh, it was like Cookie Mueller's character in like uh, Pink Flamingos where it's like, you know, just be a woman. And it's like, OK, <laughs> where, where what is this idea of women that you have? Yeah. Yeah. But also, I mean, apart from her, like she's just this like humongous presence in in the scene. But she's got also this is where we meet Ricky and Angela. So Ricky's her son and Angela is presumably the survivor of the boat accident. Well, she is the survivor of the boat accident. That's what, yeah, I, that's what I meant. I was trying to say, I was trying to skirt around the the whole thing that she's, you know, she's not who we think she is, is basically the setup there. Yeah, there's no way to talk about this movie without I know, fuck it. giving it, away the she, end. I know, Angela's the killer, okay? She also used to be a boy. There's no way to not talk about these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. I, I think by this point, like, everybody, everybody knows that, you know? Like, I'm not exactly spoiling anything here. If if I If I just did, sorry. Oh no, there's a million other reasons to watch this movie. Oh my god. Oh my god. We yeah, like that's the thing is like I what the, the like I said, the twist at the end, everything lives in the shadow of that moment for all the stupidest reasons because everything that else that happens in this movie is demented. It is one of the craziest things I've ever seen. So, Ricky is your average teenage boy, he's like 13 or 14 maybe, and Angela is basically a mute. So for about half of this movie, she does not say a word. She just stares at people. And that's what she does here. So we cut to that arrival at camp. Kids running everywhere. It's fucking mayhem. And this is kind of, this is like, this is the tenor of the entire movie is just horrible. Funny you should say that. My note says that this scene really sums up the whole movie. You got Mel and Ronnie shouting over each other. You get yeah. kids running ever. I'm like, it's overwhelming. You have no idea what's going on, who anybody is, or what is going to happen. Yeah. So now we cut to the chef and basically all of the kitchen oh, staff. Standing. This fucking rogues gallery of perverts. I know. So the chef is this big fat guy. Who's getting hungry, like hungry for fresh young chicken? He says, which is like the gro- grossest line of all time. Yeah, and I, where I come from, we call them baldies. What the this. fuck? Ugh. Also, the black guy next to him, James Earl Jones' father. No shit. Yes, it is. That's funny as hell. Yeah, I, I that line, fresh young chicken. Like I would, if 
I would have no idea what that even means if it wasn't for the movie The Exterminator. Because yeah, no, everybody at this camp is way too cool with pedophilia. They laugh it off. They uh, like all of his buddies are like, hey, oh, it's like you, are, you are a card. Yeah. Oh, he's got you got a little of the devil in him. Is what is it one line well. about him? And I was like. He's got a lot of the devil. If if those guys had any sense of responsibility whatsoever, they would have dragged him out behind the fucking kitchen and stomped him to death and dragged yeah. him off into the woods for the animals to dispose yeah, of. Yeah, why no one has called the police yet is, I mean, in just on day one. Yep. Yep. Oh my, yeah. So this, this movie, <laughs> it, it paints summer camp as this thing that all children are looking forward to because they're all very excited to be there. But me watching this movie, what I see is like an arena. Like, the fact that anybody survives this before the murders even start happening, like, the well, year, any years Jonathan, prior. Jonathan Tiersten says in one of these interviews, he's like, oh, you know, it was the first time I had seen anything that was, like, like how camp actually is. And I was thinking, like, man, what the fuck camp did you go to? Oh, okay. So, so I wrote an article. I wrote an essay about this movie, like, uh, earlier this year. And in that, I actually talk about, like, I've been to, I've been to camp twice. And I can say that this, well, this movie is an obvious exaggeration, but not by much. I, I went to, uh, I went to like a, a boy, like a Cub Scout camp the summer I was 10. And then I went in sixth grade. We all had to go to this thing called conservation. Camp. Oh, fuck that. Did you have to go I to that? I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when we went to that, it was, it was awesome because our school was so small they booked us up with another like another town that also had a small school and the fucking animosity between the two of our schools for one another. And they just threw us into bunks together. It was like, it was like warfare the whole time. It was like the most unsettling experience of my life. I hated every, every second of it. The Cub Scout camp one, not so much, but again, it was like different, like only a few of us from our, like our, whatever we called it at the time, our, our troop. And then like handfuls of kids from other troops. And it was the same thing where it was just like mad tribalism the entire time we were there. Yeah. Kids are fucking monsters. Yeah. So like this movie really kind of like triggered these memories in me of just like feeling like every step I took was being scrutinized by somebody just like looking for me to fuck up so they could just descend upon me. So Yeah. This is uh, this is the setup. This is where we meet uh, Ricky's friend Paul, who will become an important character a little ways down the line. Milk toast Paul. Yeah, Paul. He's a he's a nice guy, nice boy, and also yeah, not nice enough though. Oh, Jesus Christ! I know. Uh, but his girlfriend from last year, Judy, who is now a gigantic bitch. Yeah, she is, and it's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in uh, in Angela's bunk, we find out that uh, she stuck with Judy. Actually, I want to go back a second because the thing, the thing, the whole setup with Ricky and Judy was the year prior they were like steadies at camp, and now she's kind of like grown into her body, and so all she's interested in are older boys and wants nothing. Yeah, and to do she's with become them. a huge asshole. So in Angela's bunk, we find out that she's stuck with Judy, who is crazy mean to her. And, and we find this out because Judy fucking stomps into that cabin looking like a like a those set of real housewives. She like really does like announce herself with her walk. It's, it's yeah. pretty funny. And there's also counselor Meg who is just an agent of pure chaos. Yeah, no Meg like Judy's a bitch. Meg is legitimately unhinged. Meg is the joker. She's 
she does things just to be mean. It's fucking crazy. And her the motive- name's Meg. M E G. Yeah, yeah. And then, as we're gonna find out a little ways down the road, she's got she's got a weird interest in men. Oh, yeah, very, yeah. very specific, very specific kink that makes me a little sick, to be honest. And there's also there's also Susie, the other camp counselor. Oh, and, that's right, Susie. She's the she, nice now, one. She's the nice one, as as is implied by her bland Mormon appearance. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because Meg looks Meg looks crazy. She's like oh, yeah, she's next, wild-eyed and next just like all next over year, the place. She's gonna have like a Harley Davidson vest and like a like a like a buzz cut for hair. Judy is just gonna get like more and more pornier as she goes yeah. on. And more uh, awesome, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And um, I think that's what you're saying, but yeah. yeah I know. Yep, yeah, uh, but Susie, nope. But she's like the only the only relief in in this fucking storm that Angela's stuck with. But to be honest, like Judy's a raging bitch. But in her defense, and I will defend her, Angela is just fucking staring at them in the creepiest way. That's the thing. So like you know, I probably wouldn't. I wouldn't be mean about it. But I certainly would be creeped out if I'm like talking to this girl who's just. Blank faced, doe eyed, yeah, catatonic, flat affect. Like it's a little bit unnerving. Because I was never really sure how the setup is really supposed to establish her. Is like, is she just like catatonic and like traumatized? Like this is just the girl who is like the last eight years of her life has been just like in monk like silence because she just is so ter like just traumatized by this death or. Or is just, or like, is this just her interpretation of shy? Because it's. Really I think this is like, this is shy. Like, she's not, doesn't know how to behave. So she doesn't say anything. Yeah. Yeah. But we cut to a few days later. We're in the lunch hall. We find out that Angela hasn't eaten much in the last three days. The counselor, Ron, takes her to the kitchen, basically delivering her to the pedophile chef who immediately. And also, Ronnie's shorts. Jesus Christ. Ron's shorts. Barely conceal his testicles. I mean, these are like in this is the age of men in short shorts. And even in for that, this goes way above and beyond. All the shorts on all the all the guy, all the shorts that the guys wear in this one are all super short shorts. And now I'm going to I'm going to interject here for a minute, because this is a movie that by and large is just a knockoff of of Friday the 13th, among other things. But in a lot of ways, it subverts as many tropes as it does rely on. And one of them, and probably the most notable one, is that the camera's lingering gaze on the bodies of young men in this movie is antithetical to the genre. Like, you it, you never see female nudity in this. You see male nudity in this yep. a lot. A lot. Yeah, There's the, and, and what's interesting is, the boys all seem way more interested in each other than they are with the girls. The gr- and the girls all want nothing to do with it. I've guys. got some comments about that too. But... <laughs> yeah. The pedo chef basically immediately starts taking his pants off. Well, yeah, but first so James Earl Jones, father comes in as Ronnie's in the, the, he's like, here, go get some, go into the, the yeah, you know, get unsafe walking with the pedophile. And the James Earl Jones father comes in and goes, uh, phones for you and Mel Ron. And I was like, why is the phone for both of you? Yeah, right. When do you ever get a phone call for two people? Yeah, it's, uh, like they have to like both like answer on different phones. It's like when you call your parents in 1996 and they have to put it on speakerphone. <laughs> like what? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, this is thing. Yeah. So and this this walk in scene is just it is just chilling. It's so awful because he now apparently they are not in there together when they're shooting this. That that makes me 
that makes me comfortable, more comfortable with this scene. Cause because yeah. her, so Felissa Rose's mother was very, very present on the set the entire time. Yeah, and no anything that she was like, nope, she's not doing that. They would have to like work around it. Yeah. And so it was like anytime like it had to do with sex or violence, she was like, no way. You got to figure it, figure something else out. Yeah. And so this was one of the ways they kind of got around it. Apparently everybody else's parents like drove them up there, dropped them off. And left. <laughs> God That's, bless the 80s. Yeah. Yep. So thankfully, Ricky shows up just in time to save her. And the thing about Ricky is he's like a mad dog from the start. Like yeah, every he is an angry little man. He's a 14 he, year old boy, but he's like an angry, angry 40 year old. He goes from zero to 60 in like seconds and every scene he's in results in him basically starting very calm and immediately flipping the script and just going ape shit on whoever's around him. It's his affect is crazy in this movie. He's he's my favorite character in the whole thing because just what a machine. Oh, you he must is. have not seen Judy then. Apparently, <laughs> this is all I can assume. So uh, yeah, he 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 saves her and they they run out together. But a little later on, now now they run out together, clearly in, in terror, followed by Artie who is fixing his belt, like refastening his belt he, in front of Mel, who just sort of shrugs it off. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like, ah, camp. Camp memories. He, he lit. So two children literally run out of the, uh, the refrigerator, the, the, the refrigerator in terror as he comes out, putting it, buckling his fucking pants. And everybody's just like, no, I, I don't see what he's doing. Yeah. They are like, they are running hand in hand. Like they're running from the fucking Blitzkrieg. And they're just like, oh, what? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So a little later on, Pano Chef is boiling a ridiculous pot of water. It's, you know what that pot is, though. Uh, check out. See pot. what happens is when you introduce that pot in this in this first act, it it is bound to go off in the second. Act. <laughs> yep. And I have about a million fucking questions about this giant pot. What is this fucking pot? Like, why they, is it so large? How do you drain it? it How can, do you get the corn out of it? That's it is the least functional like piece of cookware I've ever seen. So if you're if you're if you're you've not seen this, imagine imagine a pot that could hold. 20 gallons of water, a pot that could fit a 13 year old in it. It's, it's, oh no, that's more than 20 gallons. This thing is like six feet tall. It's enormous. And it, it's, it's basically, it's a disaster waiting to happen. So an, an unseen assailant sneaks up on the pedo chef while he's all alone and perched precariously over the pot, and pulls the chair out from under him, bringing the entire boiling water. Except you know, he lingers there. He lingers there for a while. And again, this is like the boat moment. Like, just get off the chair. I know. All yeah. you have to do is step down. Right. Because he, what he does is she kind of like yanks it real quick. And he, instead of being like, oh, I should get down. He like lurches forward and grabs the shelf in front of him. And then this gives her plenty of time to like pull the chair out from under. Mind you, you don't see her doing this. It's just a hand. No, we just see Ricky's hands. Yeah. That's okay. We're going to get to a spot where I want to, I want to talk about that misdirect. Because it's. Because it's always bizarre. Ricky's hands. It's very bizarre to me. Uh, so yeah, the the pot comes down, boiling water goes all over him. He sustains horribly injury, uh, horrible injuries, and I don't feel bad for him at all. No, that's fine. No, but the best part is what happens next is the police are in there talking to Mel, and they spend like ten minutes just musing over how horrible the pain must be. And the doctor who's just like, I can't even imagine. My God, it, it must be so horrible. Yeah, and they, it just goes on and on for like. 
a couple of minutes before Mel's like, yeah, yeah, let's get this ambulance out of here before we start. Yeah, I, I gotta, I have a lot of questions also about like Mel's kind of borscht belt creep persona. Like yeah. whose direction is this? Is this his idea to play it this way? Cause it makes no fucking sense. <laughs> Not a whole lot about Mel makes sense. Uh, yeah, because he's he's mostly his whole his whole arc throughout the whole thing is I hope nobody finds out about the this as as bodies stack up. Yeah, I mean this is Jaws. It's yeah, you know, he's it's, yeah. You don't want to ruin the summer camp. Yeah, uh, and so now we cut to mind over matter. Uh, which... Okay, again, I I, <laughs> I don't. I, I was not a normal boy. And I gotta know, is this is this stuff that boys do together? Cause In my experience, seems, no. seems pretty gay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, the whole thing is it's them. It's the, his bunkhouse. They've got this kid, this nerdy kid named Mozart, lying on the floor with, like, a towel over his eyes like he's blindfolded. And Ricky is, like, doing this, like, real stage magician, like, uh, mind over matter. We're gonna we're gonna hypnotize. Yeah, it's real prestidigitation. Yeah, in, in, in its presentation. Say that three times. Yeah. He says, "In your mind, you'll want to do a sit up, but your body will be unable to." And, and so they they set him up to do this, and then I the, love that Mozart's shirt is stained. He's <laughs> <laughs> yep. just this fucking slob. Yeah, and so finally they do a countdown, and Mozart subtly shoots up into a sit up, right into a kid's bare ass cheeks. So the question that you asked before, like, is this a thing that boys do? Not in my experience. I, it is, it is very odd. Yep. But they frame it as though, like, it's just boys being boys. Yeah, I know. I guess, but I I mean, here's what I know about, like, 13 and 14 year old boys. They are deeply ashamed of their bodies. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not in this movie, they aren't. No, no, because we we get to the we get to like more of these like scantily clad dudes at the baseball game, which is another oh, one, fucking baseball. another one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's just one punk house against another one out, out there. But these kids leave you with the impression that they are going to murder one another. Yeah. Okay. So here's the setup for this this baseball game, softball game, whatever they're doing. It is Ricky's bunk. You know, uh, what are they like 13, 14, yeah. something like that. Uh, in their their head counselor Gene and Gene's outfit, holy shit! He has got a He's crop got the ha- top t yeah, shirt. shirt. He has got some fucking Daisy Duke shorts. Tight. He has what I have what I have heard to uh, referred to as "fuck me socks." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those uh, shorts are super tight. Like this yeah, is like this- he's he's dressed like a hustler. Yeah, no, they all are. Like yeah. these are guys like. You would see them cruising the Esplanade. Like, this is not, yeah. Like so, they are up against the other bunk, who are mid twenties, late twenties. Are they counselors? Are they campers? I think. What the fuck is going on? I think they're supposed to be counselors because later on they're like, like we don't even have enough. We don't. They're not. Yeah, they're like we don't have enough guys to get a game against the counselors. Like that's the thing. They're campers. Bill is a camper. (laughs) Yeah. This. This this is one of the most aggressive scenes in the entire movie. Entire you know, movie, um, an entire movie that is aggressive 
it's mo- it's one of the most aggressive movies I've ever seen. The shit talking is nonstop. Like one kid yeah, gets, one up, them to- gets up, to, goes up to the to the, the plate or whatever, uh, and one of you hear one of them go, "Ah, don't worry about it. this guy blows dead dogs. Eat shit and die, Ricky. Eat shit and live, Bill. <laughs> eat shit and live, Bill. <laughs> uh, eat shit and live, Bill. Yep. What a T-shirt that says that. There's an Iron Reagan song called "Eat Shit and Live." But uh, I'm, I'm, the thing is, I, the, the way that this scene plays out, I am amazed that no one on these teams is trying to bludgeon another person with that bat. And this scene is so fucking long. It goes on for like four minutes. It's really quite a long scene. Like, it, And it's really just like a montage, like a baseball montage. But in between, they're just like borderline attacking each other. Yep, yep. And the thing is, is it's just a baseball game, but it's 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 one of the best parts of the whole movie. Like it's just and so funny. Money. There is money riding on this game. Yeah. Like five, five bucks a man. And then, so then the, the game ends and Ricky's team wins and they're all sort of a hooray, huzzah, you know, doing what they, yep. what you do. What you do with your winnings. And, and yeah, they're, they're kind of really talking it up, like rubbing it in the face. And, and Ricky in like this weird kind of mid Atlantic, uh, sort of Barbara Stanwyck voice goes, maybe the girls want a game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is meanwhile, going on? Meanwhile, the losers are like, don't worry, we'll get him later. Yeah. When I cut his throat in bed. Like, yeah. it's, it is this. <laughs> There's a lot of, like, oaths of revenge in this movie. So. Yeah, this is like <clears throat> Dust Bowl era value of life. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like maybe you beat me at cards and I murder you by the train tracks. It's, it's that type. Of it thing. is like if, if somebody, if the cops showed up to find a dead body and somebody explained, Oh no, they were having a duel. The cops would go away satisfied. And that is basically what happens. In this. Yeah. <laughs> so now we go to the dance uh, and, and uh, Angela's by herself, just doing, doing what Angela does. Bunch of, bunch of boys ask Angela to go down to the lake, but, uh, but they're super sleazy about it. Uh, yo, Angela. Yeah, this is where you, this is where you get the yo, Angela. Hey, yo, how can you so fucked up? How can you so fucked up? <laughs> Kenny's got a real Billy Flynn vibe to him. Yeah. yeah and for those of you who don't know, Billy Flynn is the teenage boy who killed Pam Smart's husband. Yep. yep. As he just just did that on Morbid, eh? I did. Yep. So uh, well, I didn't, but I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, in walks Ricky to save her again. And this is this is the this is the scene where I'm like, oh, this kid is a fucking machine. Like he is a mad dog, 100, percent because he just walks in and immediately starts a fight with like numerous other people who just he walks in wearing a gigantic <laughs> cowboy hat. hat. Yeah, and just it goes right into it. Just launches into an attack, and then it turns into like a brawl as like every boy in the room just piles on like what this comically large like you remember that saturday night live skit with a celebrity jeopardy and uh, i think <laughs> yeah, it's norm mcdonald yeah. who shows up with the big foam hat on it's it's, it's, it's funny it's funny because it's bigger than your average hat yeah it's like that it's like he's got this <laughs> this comically large cowboy hat on yeah uh this but yeah like the way that this the way that this this plays like they pull him off a, they pull ricky away and they they pull him off the other guys and he's like anybody's like struggling to get away he's like i'm gonna kick your fucking ass i'm gonna kill you like he's going insane in this in this moment he flies off the handle at the slightest provocation yeah it's like this place is like lord of the flies like i get the feeling that if something were something were to have happened and they were to have been isolated from society these kids would have resorted to cannibalism before the food ran out yeah everybody in this movie is a rageaholic (laughs) 
Yeah. So at this, at, after this happens, Paul cozies up to Angela and he's a nice kid and she seems to respond to him and she speaks for the first time. Uh, he, he just says like, good night. She says good night too. But Judy is not having it. Oh no. Yeah. Most, most of the, most of these scenes that involve Angela involve like a nice little chat between her and Paul and then like a slow pan over to Judy, just out of frame, looking really pissed off. Wearing a t-shirt that, that says, says Judy. Judy. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, if you think I don't own that t-shirt, you would be mistaken. <laughs> You've got a Judy shirt? I sure do. That's awesome. So uh, out by the lake, none of the girls want to go skinny dipping. So the boys get all... Hey, hey, you know what? That's not a problem for these guys. Nope, they get all pissed off and they go skip it, skinny dipping without them. Just 15, again, just 15 naked dudes. Like here's this, again, this like lingering shots on these. And I, I, I mean, I'll call them boys, but they're all like 25. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it is just like, here's their asses. Here they are just standing there in their fucking soaking wet underwear. Like I, yeah. this is pretty homoerotic. Yep. 15 dudes being naked together. And yeah, they're just like, oh, the girls aren't going? Oh, well, yeah. you're lost, I like, guess. Look at all you. this fine need... dude. <laughs> we don't need you. So uh, Kenny manages to get a girl out of the lake in a canoe, and he tips it on purpose. And she swims to shore, but Kenny goes... And you know what, Kenny, Kenny, Leslie is taking a real risk on you, and you're being a fucking dirtbag. Yeah. Yep, gotta watch out for water snakes. What a fucking line. You gotta watch out for water snakes. Yep. So uh, he, she, she swims back to the shore, but he goes under the canoe and that's when For he does some inexplicable reason. Yeah. And he does that singing thing that you heard in the trailer and he is surprised when someone pops up from under the water and then they push his head under and they hold him down. And, but then in the morning, the world's most pissed off lifeguard turns over the canoe. This guy, I he is him. really, he's like tripping over shit and just cursing everybody. <laughs> super super angry and uh, he turns over the canoe and finds Kenny's dead jacked up body under it uh, and once again Mel is desperately trying to call it an accident yeah because this is when the cops show up and please god everybody take note of that cop's mustache because we're going to come back to that I think that's a different cop at the end nope it is the same guy that he must have shaved I will explain it when we get there okay but... <laughs> so yeah girls are now playing volleyball uh, so like we said, Judy's got a shirt with her name on it. Uh, Susie looking like a fucking librarian yeah. in her late 40s. <laughs> Paul talks to Angela, who is now fully talking like she's, she's yeah. broken. Yeah, you know, for someone who shows up and is like a, a pretty much catatonic, she's a real fucking chatty Kathy from this point on. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, if she had done that whole like blank stare the whole time, I would have just been super unsettled. So thank God she's now talking. But he asks her out. So later that night after like the, the big like, it's a movie. They, they do a big activity in the night. He kisses her behind the bunkhouse, but she's super nervous about it. Yeah, because he's a little, you know, like, yeah, come on, Paul. You got to ask first. Yeah. But then he or does at least, ask. Like, you got you to go in a little bit slower so they know what's happening and yeah. then back away. He doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that's super into backing away, though. No, not well, no, because we find out he's pretty insistent. So the next day, Angela sits out while the girls all go swimming. And then Judy rats her out to Meg. And Meg gives her shit, but Angela gives her the silent treatment, which drives Meg and insane. Meg loses, 
loses her fucking mind. Goes, like, just goes ballistic. She is... She's shaking her violently and screaming in her face. Yeah. Yeah. But back in the bunk. Yeah. Judy fucks with Angela. This moment. Ask why she. What are you queer or something? Yeah. Ask why she doesn't take showers with everyone. You queer or something? Which doesn't really make sense in the context. No. I mean, mean, uh, well. (laughs) But one of the. What she's implying, it doesn't. Yeah. But so this is where Susie. Yeah, well, we know the real the real reason is that she's a real carpenter's dream. Yeah, oh god. Flat Florida needs a screw. Yep, and that's where Susie slaps her. And Susie her. goes, Susie goes, that's enough. And she goes, fuck you. And then she smacks her in the face. And it is the <laughs> greatest moment in any movie ever. That's an insane exchange. Like it is very crazy. But like, it's because like- it is everything is at a fucking eleven in this movie, and that is that is really intense. <laughs> But I'll tell you, in that in that exchange, Judy was fully in control of that of that situation. Like Susie was exerting zero authority. Because here's the thing: when you go to camp and you're and you're you're situated with these counselors, like when you're a kid, like when I went when I when I went to that thing when I was ten, like all the counselors were like thirteen, and but they all looked way older than me. And so my assumption was these kids are like a lot older than me, and they're in charge. But like their authority is symbolic at best. Yeah, no, this is all very precarious. I don't think any of this is a good idea. No. I'm pretty sure this is not the way things work. You have children that go to camps. I, I mean, I'm I'm assuming you've met the people that are in charge of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, are they? Oh no, ten years old? No, no, no. They're 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 young, and some of them are kids. But like the way that like lawsuits work these days. Uh, they're like super, super careful about absolutely everything that they do. I mean, you're not just like, here, take my 11 uh, year old son. Just don't lock him in with a pedophile or shake him violently and scream in his face. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cause they're like, like, I don't, I don't Nobody know. said that at this beginning of this movie. No, this was before the litigious eighties. Yes. Yep. I'm still high on that last scene. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a zinger. Outside, the boys are playing the most dangerous water balloon fight in the world on the roof of the house. I mean, house. and the the guy in the green shirt, he is like 38 years old. <laughs> it yeah. is like if I was up there with a bunch of fucking 14-year-olds. Right, and like, once again, I think that's Bill who's up there. So uh, Bill is one of them, yeah. And he's the one who's just in the tiny, tiny pair of shorts. Yes. Yeah. And, I think uh, Bill is one of many gay men who are in this movie. Yeah. Because this... For a movie that is real cagey about sexuality, this is a really, this is like fucking made for drag queens. Like it is male gays, like gay male gays, big drag queen energy. It's, like, you know, there were lots of gay men involved. Yeah. Yeah. It's the archest of arch. Like, yeah, like the, I can think of four off the top of my head. I think I remember hearing that about one of the Friday the 13th sequels. Like maybe it was part five where like basically the entire male cast was gay. The second one has a, a a bunch of gays in it. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Also, they're sourcing a lot of these people in New York. They're all coming from stage. At least the like the older actors are. Most of the kids are doing like advertisements and shit. But you know, that's that's. God, I want to see those advertisements. Just one of them, just shaking grimace violently. <laughs> Fuck what you! What are you queer or something? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're throwing. They're on the roof. They're throwing the water below. Oh, right, right, right. And so. Once again, here comes Angela. 
They throw the water balloon at her, which hits her, and Ricky goes fucking insane again. Like he is he's losing his fucking mind. And what I love about the scene is like, so it's it's all these dudes who look like they're in their mid twenties, except for one kid who's like clearly ten years old. <laughs> he's just standing there giving him the finger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the thing. Every kid in this movie has like the attitude of of like an outlaw biker. Yeah, no, they're all like they all work in a deli in Brooklyn. <laughs> Everybody's like flipping each other off. It's it's just it's crazy. So, uh, oh. yeah, it's it's all real like, oh, yeah, fuck me. Fuck you. Yeah. And so Mel breaks it up. Ricky gets in trouble. But a little while later, one of the boys from the roof has to. And I quote, take a wicked take a wicked dump. <laughs> <laughs> that's Bill. Yeah, that's Bill. Yeah. And so Bill's going to go. He's going to join him for that softball game. But first, he's got to take a wicked dump. Yep. So while he's taking a wicked dump. Uh, an unseen assailant bars the the door to the to the bathroom stall and then drops a beehive into the stall with him. Uh, and, and hey, get this. My note says, dies on the toilet after being attacked by angry bees, <laughs> just like Elvis. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't even going to set it up like it's a joke. I'm just going to read it flat. <laughs> Comedy. Yeah, he breaks out, falls flat, dead, covered in stings, bees all over his face. And look, uh, I'm I'm not an entomologist. Those are the bees, aren't they? Those are those are animal people, yeah. bug people. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not one of those, that's for sure. Uh, but what I do know about bees is they do not burrow into your flesh. No, no, but that was a super gross effect. That's the thing. Um, the rubbery prosthetic effects in this movie, pretty good. So in the on the the Scream Factory Blu-ray, one of the guys. Like the the makeup guy, the the head special effects guy, he's in. He's one of the talking heads, and you get a lot. Like a lot of the good information you get is from him. Yeah, because he talks a lot about how they pulled this shit off with no money. It was like we tried to get somebody to lay down to be like a living person in that moment, so like he could sort of like twitch or whatever. And he was like, absolutely nobody would agree to lay down on the floor. No fucking way. I would never do that. Oh my God. Like people who like willingly put fucking bees on themselves and shit. Those people are, are, are mentally ill. You mean uh, like Gloria, Gloria Swanson in that, that killer bee movie. Yeah. No, thank you. No, thank you. But yeah, like the, the well, that's why she's Gloria Swanson and you're not. That's right. Yeah. The, but like, yeah, like the, the prosthetic effects in this movie are pretty fucking good. For a movie that like didn't even cost half a million bucks, like it's, it's uh, yeah, I will agree. I will say the the water boiling thing, like that scene, like it's real camp, but like it looks pretty fucking cool. Yeah, but like that's the, also the the boat, the drowning thing looks a little cheesy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, they definitely do look rubbery, but considering that there were other like there's other like well-known special effects artists out there doing these same sorts of effects these are like a class above even i would i would say this stuff looks better than some of the shit tom savini was doing because this isn't tom savini was good with gore yeah yeah blood and gore like i watched the prowler last night and those are really good effects for very very little money yeah i mean it was all shit that he did in maniac anyways so yeah and this this is more like uh, kind of weird biological, physiological stuff. Yeah, it's all that's the thing. That's well, I mean, that's really the difference between this and Savini is with Savini, you see it happen. With this, it's all aftermath. And like, the, I think the reason. So he says in the with the boat, the snake coming out of his mouth in the boat. He was like, he we, they he was really nervous about doing the cast for his face for his yeah. head, and he was like, so the the mold got a little bit fucked up, 
And, but they didn't really have time to do it again or the money to do it again. So it's like, I just kind of had to go with what I had. The whole reason for using that prosthetic for that, that mold is so they could have the snake come out of his mouth. And it's like, you didn't, it's just kind of a dumb effect. Like you didn't even need to do that. Yeah, yeah, I, I like it. Yeah, because they got they got really dangerous water snakes. <laughs> yeah. The, so the the thing is, the nature of the violence in this movie is one of the reasons why. Like, this is a movie that that's the kills are definitely operating on a level above its contemporaries, mostly because they don't involve blood. Like, there's there's some blood in this movie, but it really kind of skirts around the stuff that the the MPAA would object to. So, like, that's why you get, like, burns and bees and, you know, like, the drowning scene. Like, that that's how we, we're able to see that stuff because... Yeah. No one's getting their head sawed off in a swimming pool. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's there's one kill that's pretty bloody, and, yeah, but, like, everything else is is nasty. But, you know, it's, it manages to just sort of, like, skirt under the radar. It's, it's, it's a really interesting characteristic of this, of this already very interesting movie. Now you got a dead, you got another dead kid. No you know dead kid. not going to be happy about that? Oh, Mel. Mel. Mel is so upset. They're dropping he's got like another flies. He's got another monologue to go on here. That's, oh, well, that's the thing. Mel shows up after every time one of these people dies. And I, I'm not really mentioning it, but his whole thing is, like, he's just twitchy and nervous. Like, what is... Wait till the press hears about this or something like this. But now he's starting to get paranoid. So that night by the lake, Angela and Paul make out on the beach. Jesus, Paul, come on. Hands to yourself, buddy. She flashes back to a memory of seeing her dad and his boyfriend in bed. But nothing about this scene really strikes me as terribly traumatic. Well, here's where I'm going to sound the homophobia alarm. And I'm not going to say that it is because I actually don't think this scene is. I think this is one of the scenes that people point to as being homophobic. Yeah. So it is a scene, if if people have not seen it, it is a scene between the two dudes from the beginning. Uh, they're just sort of in bed. Like, it's often described as though they're making out, but they're actually not even kissing. They're barely they're just, touching. They're just like looking at one another and like caressing each other. Yeah, it's like just two dudes in a bed on the set of Dark Shadows <laughs> and... Right, it is like a brass bed on like a yeah, on like is, a sound stage that's just been like draped with black linen. Yeah, this is obvious reshoot shit. Like yeah. they stuck this stuff in at the end. You can tell because there's it is it's somewhere in a black room yeah. on a bed. And it's the two kids laughing at the two men in the bed. Just it's sort of like an intimate moment and they're laughing. And they're the way I read the scene is it's two kids watching two people in a sort of awkward intimate moment because what we tend to forget is that in our moments of intimacy, it's really fucking awkward if you're watching it from the outside. Yeah. And that's kind of all I read this as. And this is where I, I kind of make this distinction between is this movie homophobic or transphobic or are they exploiting homophobia? And I think it's the latter because at no point does the director or does the movie itself tell us what to think about this. That's, that's just like, Hey, here you go. Here's two dudes you know, fucking or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, they're doing it at a, at a time in this country that is, you know, is, is pretty ugly. This is the onset of the AIDS epidemic. There is a growing wave of anti-gay violence everywhere in the country. Like they're exploiting really, really disgusting, pervasive beliefs about gay men as dangerous criminals. Yeah. But yeah. they're not actually taking a stance. So that's you know, the thing because well, the movie doesn't, cast any judgment on it it's simply presented 
And but it's doing it in this way. And this is the thing I fucking hate about Robert Hiltzik because I've watched a lot of interviews with him, and he is every time someone asks about this, he's so like coy and cagey in this way that's like, oh, but ain't I a stinker? And it's like, no, you're a fucking scumbag, is what you are. Yeah. But like beyond that, no, I don't think it's actually homophobic. I do think he knows exactly what he's doing. Though. Yeah, yeah. And that's what makes it gross. But I don't read the scene that way. No. Like it just sort of seems like it's just sort of here's a thing. Yeah, we like, needed we needed to stretch this out to ninety minutes. Yeah, I suppose. Like the thing is, is uh, that's the thing is, this movie is not ninety minutes. It runs up at eighty five minutes. So, and if you want to be, you, there's like that weird threshold to be a feature film. Yeah, you have to be around ninety minutes. So something tells me they stuck this shit in because they didn't have enough runtime. Right. So, because also it's not like this. This flashback isn't just that. Then it cuts to a scene where. Peter, the little boy from the beginning, and the unnamed girl, who we're all supposed to think is Angela, are sitting on the bed facing one another, and he's like... Point- her name's Tammy. She looks like she'd be Tammy. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And she looks like Tammy. Tammy. Real, Tam- real, Tam- she's Tam- got real, she's yeah. got real Tammy Long Island energy. Yeah, I can see that. They all have hair like our cousin Jennifer did in 85. <laughs> you know, like, real big... The big bangs. Kind of bon- big Bon Jovi hair. Yeah. Shout out to Jennifer. Yeah, sorry, right. that's pretty pretty fantastic hair. So the but the thing is, is the boy is pointing at the girl as the camera like spins around them. I'll tell you now. Listen, I am high a lot of the time, <laughs> and I, and I may have been when I was watching this movie, but I was really taken by this scene because the way the if the camera moved a little faster, it would have been probably better, but. It moves in such a way that it's spinning around as he's sort of pointing like towards her as though he's about to touch her in that kind of old dark housey kind of way. Yeah. But it's spinning in this way that their faces start to overlap. Yeah. And I mean, for uh, for a movie that's like low budget schlock, eh, that's kind of a cool effect. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it's it to him. something. I'll give it to him. But what this does is it uh, causes her to get up and run away. So in the morning, Paul tries to cool things off, but Angela pushes him away. And seeing an opportunity, Judy swoops in. Yeah, she does. Fucking Judy. Yeah. And so as she's... Opportunistic bitch. But like the thing is, is Paul is not feeling Judy. Her energy is just not Paul energy. No, no. No, she's all about conquest. But this is where, well, that overlaps with this is the, uh, was it Capture the Flags? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as she's walking away... Ricky runs up and talks to Angela and he's got this plan because they're all all the kids are playing capture the flag now because they get they, they spend a long time explaining how capture the flag works. Yep. And while they're doing it, you've got the same jeans doing like he's like sword swallowing thing. And the other kid, my note about the other kid, because he's in it a lot. I don't know if he has a name and he probably doesn't, but he's in he's one of the counselors and he's in it a lot. And I was just like, the dude with the flag looks like every douchebag I went to high school with. Yeah, yeah. Those I'll give. I gotta give it to them. They're they're very authentic teenagers. Yeah, yeah. So, which is very weird because at, up to like at this point, so we've got the burning, and the burning has kids in it. It's kind a of. it's a mixed bag. Yeah, but this one is like this is a movie with actual kids in it yeah. that actually get like they get killed in the movie. It's like. <laughs> Ah, that's, that's that's a trailblazer right there. <laughs> yeah. 
So Ricky's whole plan is they're going to walk through the woods to get behind the flag and steal the, the like, do like a sort of like, uh, I don't know, like a smokescreen kind of thing and grab the flag and run away with it. But as they're walking through the woods, they, they, Angela stumbles onto Paul and Judy making out. Oh, Judy. Yep. Judy, you've sealed your fate. You know what the weird thing about this scene is? It's actually Ricky that stumbles upon them. But. And Angela is on the other side of them, and she comes up from the ground as though she were crouching. And I don't know if they want it to look like she's like walked up a hill to have stumbled upon them, but it's clearly a flat ground. So she's literally crouched on the ground and stands up after Ricky discovers them. It's a very strange scene. It is a weird, it is a weird scene, yeah. So uh, later on, Paul's out there trying to make smooth things over. But oh no, you missed the best part. This is when so yeah, you know she runs off, Paul runs after her, and Ricky goes, "You know what? You're a real scumbag, Judy." <laughs> yeah. And I thought, you know, people don't use scumbag anymore. That's that a really one good get, insult. I wish they bring that one back. That one gets thrown around a bit in this one. It's pretty. It's pretty because, awesome. Because I mean, you know what the reference is? Yes. Yeah. It's a. It's a condom. It's. Re- yeah, it's a really, it's a pretty fucking gross insult. And yeah. I think we should just bring it back. Yeah. As, you know, as, you know. As I agree. Yeah. We'll start using it more on this pod. And then my other, my other note in this moment, it just says, God, Judy's hair is so dry. <laughs> That's how you know I'm gay. <laughs> yeah. So later on, Paul tries to smooth things over, but uh, she's giving him the silent treatment again. Uh, Judy comes in to fuck with Angela again. But this time you can see the murder in her eyes. Like that that expression is still, it's like that stone face thing. But this time she's like mad. Yeah, everybody is just off the fucking rails at this point. Yeah, to make, oh yeah, this is the thing is the tension in the camp is just ratcheting up by the minute. And so to make matters worse, here comes Meg who physically picks Angela up and drags her down to the lake. Yeah, this scene is fucking insane. Because they're like, what, you don't want to go swimming? You don't like the water? And and meanwhile, Mel has has confronted Ricky yes. saying, you killed them to destroy me, didn't you? And it's like, <laughs> why would you think this kid wants to destroy you? That is such what a, the fuck are you talking about? It's it's like he's got a real bad coke habit, but we just, it's it's all off screen and we have no... Yeah, like it's instead of just ideas about like screenplays and, and restaurants he wants to open, it's just him focused on this kid <laughs> trying to undermine him. Fucking Ricky. He's out to get me. I gotta get him before he gets me. So yeah, so, so Ricky sees this happening, but Mel accosts him and is like, holding him and shaking him and he's like i know it's you i know you you know like you killed them to destroy me he says so yeah so they throw angela who has an understandable fear of water and a you know total inability to swim into the lake right just right in the water she's just drowning as well the fucking lifeguard is just standing there yeah yeah so he's pissed though he's not gonna help any of these little fucking monsters he got no time for this shit so he does eventually, like Ricky breaks free. He runs down there. The lifeguard and him help her out. But the thing that this is the moment where I was like, it makes perfect sense to me that Angela is killing these people because if she didn't, they'd probably get her first. Like this, there's like a real lethal quality to this. Camp. Oh yeah, yeah. This this movie thinks it's giving you, and then there were none. Yeah. When it is very clear from the moment the film starts who the killer is. Yeah. Like, a slasher killer is just the least of these people's worries when all of the children are this murderous. 
So now's the time that we find out that for some fucked up reason, Meg, who might be 18 at the oldest, is into Mel. If that. Who's like 60 something. And they're going to get together for dinner tonight. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of fucking psychopath eats dinner at 930? Because (laughs) you know what? Because dinner is a euphemism for fucking. That's what's going on in this movie. And why she would be interested in You are surrounded by... I mean, attractive by uh, Long Island standards, sure. But, like, they're age-appropriate men. Yeah. this Any one of them will do. And here's the thing. It's not like he is a debonair, like, 60s bachelor. He's... No, he's a Borscht Belt creep. Yeah, he looks like... Can I get a t-shirt that says Borscht Belt creep on it? it yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that, it's... That'll be our... It's fucking 2023. I can get anything I want on a t-shirt. That'll be our first merch. Yeah, that's the, uh, you know, that's the beauty of the mall. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah, it's, it's, he looks, he looks like a frog. Like, who does he, who does he look like? He, because he, he reminds me of other actors. He reminds me of, oh God, he reminds me of Gollum. He definitely, he definitely has. He's very familiar in that way. Who's the guy, uh, what was the fucking movie you watched? The, the dude, he's in Leprechaun 2. Oh, he's in Vamp. The guy in Vamp. Oh, right. Yeah, now I can't remember Vic. his name. Yeah. His name Vic, Vic in Vamp? Vic. He's like that. It's that same like, hey, yeah, come on in. Come on, kids. Let's it's, fucking do it. It's classy. He, yeah, yeah, it's this that. Is, this is him. He looks, he looks. Mel is chomping on a cigar this entire movie. He's slapping kids in the head. He's, you know, he's he's smacking Meg on the ass like you did in 1983 because you're supposed to, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, he looks like he smokes two packs of cigarettes before noon. Like this is this guy has a has a fucking look. He's all like hunched over and shit. And yet Meg, who is a pretty young woman, she's super into this guy. Like she was like there was a scene at the very beginning where she sees him, and there's this like moment where they're like, "Oh hey." So I God, I don't know. I don't know how this works. I, I don't what know. What do they talk about? Like I don't want you know. As much as I love Judy, I don't want a Judy fan film. I want, I want a movie about what that dinner would have been like. Yeah, yeah. Because we never find unless out. It's, unless it's actually sex, because if it is, I don't, I don't want it. So gross. It's so gross. I don't need that. Yeah. Yep. So um, Meg goes to take a shower in the empty bunkhouse <laughs> next door. Well, so first she goes and looks. And then, again, oh, yeah. this is when we get that, that Jennifer 1986 hair. Because she looks down the the fucking aisle of like the waiting line for the showers in their bunk, and it is just like they may as well have blue fucking eyeshadow smeared <laughs> all the way back. The hair is just teased. It's incredible. Yeah, it's this line of of teenage girls like waiting for the shower, and so she's like, "Oh shit, I'm never gonna get this." So she goes next door to the empty bunkhouse to take a shower, which uh, gives the killer ample time, perfect opportunity to stab her to death through the wall yeah, of so, the shower. So Robert Hiltzik says this is his homage to Psycho. God, the to which, fuck to out which of I here. say, has Robert Hiltzik ever seen Psycho? Uh, yeah, this is this is the one like this is the one kill that you can kind of feel because what happens is Meg is like backed up against the wall of the shower, just singing. Like you do in the shower. Hum, she's not singing. She's humming in this arrhythmic. Hum, that's like. Just like there's that. no, there's nothing. It's, it's like a dirge. It's like the, it's very much like the direction was like, she went in and she started to do the shower scene and Hiltzik was like, no, 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 no. Nobody's going to know you're taking a shower. You got to sing in the shower. And so she was like, uh, okay. 
and just like ad libbed this. What you just and so heard. here's, but here's another thing about this is that this is a prime moment to do that sort of like uh, '80s uh, girl in the shower spending 15 minutes washing her breasts scene. Yep, and you get this none is a of that. perfect opportunity for female nudity. You get nothing. Nothing. Which no. is weird since we have seen so many asses at this point. Yep. So All- many boys' asses. <laughs> it's peculiar. And, and I mean, it's like, uh, God bless them. They're making they're making different choices. And I think that's probably why it's memorable. That's, that is, that's definitely, a, it's definitely a quality of this movie that nobody misses. It's definitely a quality of the movie that everybody remembers it for. It's just such a strange directorial decision. Uh, and th- just God bless them for it. It's, it's it's a it's just doing something different. But what happens is is we see again P- killer POV and hand holding Mozart's knife, which has been confiscated at this time. Because yeah, because you skipped the part where Mozart is also a psychopath. Yeah, because he gets yeah they do the whole like shaving cream in the hand and they tickle his nose and he puts a shaving cream and his reaction is to jump up and grab his knife and chase Ricky around with it. Like he's well, going they to actually all kill laugh him. at him. Yeah. So, so the knife is in her, is in the killer's hand, and she stabs through the wall, and just like blood pours out of it. And we cut to reaction shots of Meg. It's kind of nasty. So uh, now we cut to Paul and Angela, who meet up outside of the social, and Angela asks where Ricky is. Now this is the part where they're starting to see to misdirect. We're supposed to think that Ricky is the killer. Also, he's, apparently he's trying to destroy Mel. Yeah. Also, apparently. There was there were supposed to be hints in this throughout that Mozart is the killer as like a revenge thing. I pick up none of that. Yeah, I don't, I don't buy that. Yeah. So Paul apologizes and Angela tells him to meet her at the waterfront. He's like, oh, yeah. yeah but she's she's got to see what he doesn't know that we know is that he's got a glint in or she's got a glint in her eye. Yeah. But she's going to murder the crap out of him. Yeah. See, that's the problem is that at no point does anyone in this movie know that they're in a horror movie. <laughs> yeah even as so like, none of this shit works like you'd be you'd think because they do know that people are dying yeah yeah like the bodies are stacking up at this point they haven't discovered meg yet that comes a little later but there's because like he's ricky says to mel i was gonna get up a ball game but there's not enough guys around and they say it as though there's like half the camp has been decimated it's like dude like four people have been killed one of them was the fucking pervy cook like yeah if you can't get up a ball game with what's left, then I got questions about this camp. Yeah. So so next is where there's there's a bunch of like campers who are all going out into the woods to sleep under the stars with one of the counselors. Well, now, for, first we first we have the uh, is that now or is that we have the well what what, what were you gonna say? Uh, where Judy is in the 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 camp the ca- cabin there with the that kid. that comes next. So because this is the setup is. Oh, right, because Meg's got the night off. She's got hot She's got hot plans. Yeah, so she, there's these kids, they go camping, and then in the middle of the night, two of them wake up, and they're like, we're cold, we want to go back. And so the camp, the counselor's like, all right, let's go. And he leaves three of the can- the kids behind who are just sleeping, and then we get more killer POV who goes for one but of the But in hatches. the meantime, this is when we go, he has not returned yet. Right, so this is where, where Mel goes next door. or He's out, Mel's out looking for Meg, and he just about walks in on Judy making out with a guy. And then the dude hides and, and leaves after Mel leaves. But Judy's super. And Judy says, do you have to kiss so wet? So wet. Gross line. <laughs> yeah. 
So this leaves Judy all alone. This is the setup for Judy. So Mel goes next door and he finds Meg's body and he gives this crazy fucking monologue. Yeah, he finds Meg's body that for some reason has just been standing straight up waiting for him to arrive so it can then fall forward. Yep, yep. But he's like, it's this crazy monologue about how he knows Ricky did this. Uh, And all the while he's doing it, he's doing that Italian fingers gesture. This it goes on and on and on for like the longest time. And it's just this single shot close up of Mel's fucking froggy face. Uh, And he, he charges. It's a lot. It's a lot of real lip work. He's doing. There's a lot of, a lot of lip acting. Yep. So back (laughs) back in Judy's bunk, she's curling her hair and the door opens and we get this really (laughs) fucked up shot. Now see, okay. It, I imagine this scene probably was a lot more deceiving on 35 millimeter than it is in 1080. Yeah, because you can clearly see that it's Ricky wearing a wig. And so there was a point where I'm watching this and I'm like, is there like this whole like missed subplot where like maybe Ricky is like killing some of these people or something? Because that would have been a better. Why else would they have done this? I have no idea why they do the setup like this. Because also, like you mentioned, every time we see a hand with a weapon killing somebody, it's fucking Ricky's hand. And that's because it was using Felissa Rose's hands. They were too very obviously, it was like a girl's hand. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. I get that. Judy finally gets hers here. So so when she walks in- dear God, this is a really mean scene. It's the worst of all of them. Because she, like, eventually the, the figure in the doorway walks in and Judy does that thing. Oh, it's you. What do you want? And you know, I think every single person who gets murdered in this movie first goes, oh, it's you. Yeah, yeah. And so the killer, like, punches her in the face and knocks her out. And then reaches for a pillow over her head and then takes the curling iron and kills her. Opens with the, it. Opens, opens it. it first. Yep. And then kills her. Well, presumably kills her. I don't know how this would be a fatal wound. I'm pretty it would be sure a, that would kill you. It would be a terribly, terribly traumatic injury. We don't see what she does with the phallic curling iron, but based on the sound, the that implication we're hearing, is heavy. Yeah, the it's it's we're all imagining the same thing. It's a terrible, terrible fucking way to die, and our imaginations are horrible, and we should all be ashamed of ourselves. But uh, yeah, so we cut. Counselor returns to the campsite and he finds all the kids all hacked up. And my question and, and is, my note says, Eddie, you're definitely getting fired. <laughs> my question is, what did these kids do to deserve it? You know, they threw sand at her. Why does nobody get that? When did they throw sand at her? So when she gets thrown into the water and they, you know, she's in the water and they go and get her out and they're dragging her out. And the kids are, these little kids are like chucking sand at her as she's walking by like a bunch of little fucking monsters. Oh, no shit. Okay, then fuck them. And you know what? For that, chop them up. That's okay. I'm on your side. This is one of the scenes that, this is the one thing that Robert Hilsing is like, you know, I wish I hadn't included that. I'm like, fuck you, you fucking pussy. You think that's the part you should have cut out? (laughs) Yeah. So now we find, the thing is, is Ricky has been missing this whole time. And he's like suspect number one, as far as we're supposed to be to be concerned. And as far as Mel is definitely convinced. And so he's walking to the social. He tells a counselor that he's been lying down the whole time because dinner made him sick. So Mel finds Ricky 
and then proceeds to beat the shit out of him. And he just smacks the crap out of him. Like two-handed Hulk smash type stuff, like... Screaming at him the whole time about, I got him, Meg. Yep. Presumably, he kills him. And so as he tries to run away and he finds his way to the archery. And he just wanted to eat. So Ricky's just, he was just walking along eating his chunky bar. Yep. And so he, Mel finds his way to the archery range where he gets an arrow through the throat while shouting, it can't be you. Yeah. Well, first he says, you, it can't be you. It's like, God, you know, you're like the sixth one to say that. Yep. So meanwhile, one cop in a fake mustache shows up at the counselor's. Ugh. I'll go looking for Angela and Judy. Now this mustache. Now I wish I could. I I don't want, there are parts of me that don't want to ruin these moments, but at the same time, I'm going to. (laughs) Apparently they, between the first shot of him when he shows up for the drowning or whatever. Yeah. And this scene, he had gotten some other acting role and had shaved his mustache. Oh. So they had to come up with something at the last minute. So they like, went so to fucking Spirit Halloween and picked up just the first one they saw? Because- Not even. It looks like someone drew a giant fake mustache on him with a Sharpie. <laughs> like, this is like Groucho Marx, but cheaper. It's like bushy and not even close to his to the color of his hair. It is, it is absolutely ridiculous. It is comedy gold, the way that looks on his face. <laughs> That's why I someone was Someone like, clearly just stuck this to his It's like an episode of I Love Lucy. They just padded that shit on. Yeah. It looks incredible. It's like why I was like, that can't be the same actor. Nope, it is. So uh, Paul now waits by the, uh, the waterside, as instructed, and Angela comes in and suggests they go swimming, telling Paul to take his clothes off, and he gets real excited for this. Then Angela begins to and do again, the same. But again, I got to say, you know, you're, what, 14 years old and someone's like, hey, we're going to go down. But I don't know that some anyone would be like, I think they would probably say they'd be super into it. But when it really came down to it, they'd be like, uh, wait, what, really? Yeah. Uh, I, uh, that'd, be the I most, that'd be the most intimidating thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Like in, in theory, fucking awesome. In practice, no way. So the counselors are all searching. They find Ricky. Thankfully, he's alive. But apparently this was an insert scene that was shot later in production because Hiltzik originally intended for Ricky to be killed by Mel. I'm I'm fine with that. I thought it would have been been fine because it's just a fucked up bonkers quality to this already fucked up bonkers movie. But also you couldn't like, by that point, you you would have ruled everybody out. You've only got one person. Yeah, yeah. Which is probably why he brought him back. So more counselors find Meg's body. I think that's the part where the cop like throws up or something. And uh, finally, somebody does. Yeah. Finally, Ron and another counselor walk to the water's edge and they find Angela and Paul. Angela is naked and cradles Paul's head in her lap. But before the big reveal, we flash back for a little more Aunt Martha. Dressed like an absolute fucking maniac in this scene. Yeah, this second outfit is no less wild than the first. I would wager it's even crazier. She's dressed like an American girl doll. She has a red bowler on. Yeah. So the whole time we've been led to believe that of the two children from the beginning, the little girl presumably named Angela survived. This is what I was trying to explain earlier and kind of like chomped my words but it turns out that it's the boy peter who survived and when he went to live with aunt martha because she's insane she forced him to be a girl because she already has a boy and wants a girl and so she's like showing peter all of these like girl clothes and And, but she says she says when richard comes home to find a little girl in the house so 
Are we supposed to assume that Ricky doesn't know about any of this? Probably. Because I feel like that's going to be a real hard one to... It, it stretches credibility for sure. Because, like, I guess he didn't know that, like, one of the cousins was... Maybe he didn't know his cousins? I don't know. Like, it's it's just such a fucked up thing. Like, this, this is such a weird twist ending. Yeah, you can't poke holes in Aunt Martha. It, it's going to fall apart way too quick. Yeah. Yeah, but like this this is just like if you thought she was crazy before like this this really nails it home. And so we sh- we flat we flash back to the beach suddenly Angela stands up. Oh, also, they do that thing where they're clearly shooting the scene from the same front room as before where she's like sending the kids off to camp, but they've draped the rest of the room in black cloth again like like the yeah, This the... must have just been like someone's house. Yeah. Yeah, but also you can see her breath in that scene. Like, it's very cold in that room, apparently. But yeah, so so we flash back to the beach and Angela stands up, dropping Paul's severed head at her feet. And this is the part that, like, I the thing is, is I'm kind of team Angela up to this point, but Paul's only crime was being into it. Oh him. no, fuck Paul. I like Paul. He's a nice boy. His, like, his wishy-washy ambivalence and the way he's just like, I'm going to just, rip, you know, fucking paw at your shirt even though you told me not to sorry paul i don't know consent's a thing buddy yeah. you should have paid attention but now she's making this like crazy ass growling noise like an animal and, and so this is the i think this is the scene like the the thing that makes this moment so unsettling and you're supposed to be like oh my because what to quote ronnie oh my god she's a boy yeah so the camera scene. reels back and it's it, reve- it reveals that she's got a penis in this kind of like foggy, dark, it's not, it's not it could super be way more detailed. gratuitous and it's not. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is. It's Apparently it's incredibly a, gratuitous. it's like a drunk 18 year old or something well, like that. Well, I'll get to that, that in a second as well. But I think what makes this so unnerving and sort of unsettling is it's, so it is a mask. It's a, because her mother was like, so originally the, the uh, story goes that they were working on a prosthetic yeah. that she was going to wear. And, her mother was like, absolutely not. She is not going to do that. Tell you, Felicia Rose's mom, she's on the ball. Yeah, no, she's right about that one. But everybody who saw it was like, I don't know, man. This feels real weird. I don't think I like this. So they get this guy. He's like an 18-year-old college guy. I don't know if he was an actor or not, but like he came down. So they like shaved all of his, his entire body and they put this mask on. It's a very thin, like a, very like thin application so it looks pretty lifelike i'm gonna say it it sits on him awkwardly but it it's it's a a little big it's a it's a definitely like a perfect likeness of angela but like he's it is and the eyes are glass eyes from Uh like a um what's the uh where you stuff things oh taxidermy yeah they got like glass eyes for that that match her eyes and so it's such a thin application that it looks real Except like it's a little bit too big. Like the guy, his body is sort of small, and so it's just the proportions a little bit odd. But it's it looks really realistic, and the fucking noise that he's making—it's a very weird, very strange it's, noise. So it's, it's this kind of like hissing growl. Yeah. But the because it's it's a a, a mask like an, like an application, it doesn't move. Yeah. So when they and cut, so it's just. It's just this, t- but the tongue moves. Yeah. They do these cuts back and forth between like the, the full body shot and up close. And when they do the up close, it's Felissa Rose. 
And when they do the full body shot, it's the mask. And she's, you've seen it. It's the thing where she's got the mouth all wide and her eyes kind of looking to the side. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the last it's line. Like, it is deeply unsettling, though. Just that sound and, like, there's that... He does that thing. It's that kind of rip off that uh, like the moment at the the prom and Carrie. Yeah. Uh, where like Pinot Danaggio's score is like making that real banging noise. Yeah. It's yeah. that where it's like everything is just trying to like throw you off. I think that's what makes this scene so jarring is like it's just it's it's so it's like a, you're being accosted yeah. in this weird way. It's wor- it's a scene that's worth talking about. I don't think that it's really worthy of like all of the attention that it gets. Here's where I'm going to yeah, I'm going to talk about some of the other problematic shit about it because mm. in the the Blu-ray documentary thing I watched, they are all like, you know, it was so ahead of its time. You know, I don't want to use the word brave. And I'm oh, God. And I'm just thinking, you know what? Fuck you guys. Like, everybody does is... that. All the people who are involved, everybody who's not Mark Patton says the same shit exactly. about Nightmare 2. Like, I fucking hate that. Yeah, yeah, like, let's, you know, I don't, I have a lot of really strong feelings about this shit. Like, when straight people look at this stuff and they're like, oh, it must be so authentic. And it's like, no, actually, it's kind of offensive. Yeah, yeah. It's that type of shit. Now, do I think that this is offensive? No, I think it's very neutral. Hmm. I absolutely do not think that these filmmakers were trying to make a statement. I, like I said, no. I think they are exploiting the worst aspects of our culture, which thought that trans people are dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, and apparently still thinks that trans people are dangerous. Yeah. Like, and hey, by the way, just in case there's any question on that, they're not. They're not. They're not. Fucking grow up. Yep. So we uh, we fade to polarized green and roll credits with a sweet synth ballad about Angela. It is a that is a banger. It's it is, a great it's called Angela's. It's called Angela's theme, and it is a banger. In in, par- in parentheses, you're just what I've been looking for, which is the thing that I wish I wish musicians would do again. I have no idea why they used to do it, but that like here's a song title, and then oh, a could... parenthetical title. I yeah. love a parenthetical. I title. love it. Tom Waits. Every other song on a Tom Waits album from like 1973 to 1994. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's a it's it's by a guy named Frankie uh, Vinci, and he there's a, there's a bunch of like there's a essentially there's a score to the movie that plays throughout. But there's also there's three actual like songs that play in the background of like the dance scene, a couple of other parts. They're all by this guy and they're all pretty fucking good. Death Waltz put out a seven inch of it. It's probably not available and it probably costs a fucking thousand dollars on either. It now. does not cost a thousand dollars. I paid seventeen dollars for it. Oh, OK. I just sort of assume like the way that like Mondo posters used to work where it'd be like, hey, you can get this sweet Tyler, uh, 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 you know, like. Tom Whalen poster for like $35, but they'd all sell out immediately and then immediately go to $800 on eBay. This was before, this is before Mondo. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So this is a, a, one of the, I think maybe, I don't know. I may have paid 25 bucks, but it was cheap and it's worth it. Cause it's fucking great. Yep. Hell of a song. I fucking love it. Like I, I just like let the credits roll over the whole thing so I could hear it. And the thing is, is the credits actually end before the song ends. So it's just that static face of Angela while the song plays until the end. And there's like 30 seconds of the song left. It's, pr- it's pretty wild. So yeah, that's it. God, this movie is, it is sleepaway camp. I adore this fucking movie because it is just crazy. 
and it has it's just not aware of itself at all like at no point no. does it, it does it ever seem to be re, like reflect upon itself like are we maybe pushing things a little too far it's just and it just feels it feels fucking greasy just from the beginning like <laughs> you like you're seeing fly tape in oh, the and fly like, paper I just in the feel kitchen. like this is authentic like yeah god it's it is, so good it is grimy and you know i <laughs> There is a lot to say, but like it, it's it's a totally fair thing to want to pick it apart and be like, is it homophobic? Is it transphobic? And honestly, I don't think it's going for either. It's worth having those conversations always just because, you know, how we interpret things changes over time. Yeah. Uh, especially if we're watching things like this now, it's worth talking about it. And I think if people are are offended, then that's that's legitimate. Like there's some shitty stuff that they're really they're they're pulling the cheap shots in this. In, in a way that is so so much less artistic than like when uh, Brian De Palma does it in Dress to Kill. And even then, that was fucking gross. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. it's worth that, talking I mean, about. But Dress to Kill is a problematic as fuck movie anyways. I mean, not well, everything he does is. Yeah, but uh, like the thing is, is this movie has been explored and, you know, from a sort of gender and sexuality point of view. And it's been done to death. Uh, personally... I think that kind of like the final word on it for me was BJ Colangelo's Dread Central article about it, which I'll, I'll link that in the show notes. It's it's definitely it's worth a it's worth a read. And that's the thing, like there's not going to be a final th- like if people find it offensive, then it probably is. I mean, it is offensive. It, yeah. it can be. Yeah. But it's just it's a matter of how do you interpret? Are you going to laugh it off and embrace the other ridiculous campy shit, or are you going to be like, you know what, this movie's not for me? I think it's kind of gross, which is is equally valid. Yeah, and that's kind of like, I mean, that's definitely, that's clearly our approach is that like, just we're not touching that stuff because it's been done to death by people who are, at least from my point of view and from where I'm sitting, by people who are way more qualified than I am to talk about it. But <clears throat> the yes, yes. Which is why you've got the angle on here. But also <laughs> the crazy fucking bullshit in this movie of like just feral lunatic children just set to go wild over summer at summer camp. Where yeah, I think that, a baseball that game is, is like a, is is a very dangerous occasion. Like I get the feeling that these kids are going to kill one another at any moment. Yeah, like the weird gender stuff in the weird, even the weird, the, you know, kind of borderline homophobic stuff. It's like that's just kind of par for the course for a movie from 1983. It's everything else that isn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like I, I said, watch like, movies. Like, this is the thing, if, you know, and I, I have said this to younger people, and I will continue to say this to younger people. If you grew up in the 80s and 90s, you expected the world, if you were a queer person, you expected the world hated you. Yeah. Like, that was just the way it was. You expected to watch things and to see yourself or people like you portrayed in really, really ugly ways. And so you just accepted that that's how things were. You didn't let it turn you off to absolutely everything. No. Now, that's a shitty way to look at things. It's, it was never okay, but it's like, you can't look at everything like, you know, get your fucking hackles up every single time. And, you know, that's just sort of the way it is. Like, t- toss out the other shit. That's just sort of the way it was. You can't watch anything from this time period without running into it. Watch it for every other thing in this movie. Watch it for Aunt Martha and Judy alone. There's That there's, is some weird queer icon shit right there. <laughs> there's really something to be said for that. Like, Judy... Judy is like the nastiest contestant on Drag Race. She's got like she is a, so great. She's got a killer instinct about her, and she is only fourteen years old. Actually, I don't know how old she actually the actress actually is in this movie because there are times when I'm like she kind of looks like an adult, but there are other times where I'm like she could be like fourteen. But this is that time period. This is like that sort of like uh, what is it, the low eighties, high seventies when it's just like 
everybody looked like they were in their early 30s. Yeah. And they were like 15. Yeah. Crazy. It's crazy. So yeah, this is us exiting the 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 summer camp cycle. What are we doing next? What the fuck are we doing next? We're doing Stephen King next. Stephen oh, King rules. Holy shit. Stephen, we're doing. We're sticking sticking with the eighties. Yep, we're doing yeah, maximum overdrive. What. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I I thought about it and I thought, well, there's a, Stephen King's had a very long career and there have been very many movies made from his films or uh, vice versa. It's, and some of them are very good. And I don't want to watch those. <laughs> nope. I want to watch the ones that Dino De Laurentiis was involved in. Oh man, and we we've got we've got two Stephen King movies on tap, both uh, DDLs, and God, God damn, I can't wait. The first one is, as I said, we're doing Maximum Overdrive. So <laughs> fucking get ready because we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>